electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We know that inflation is raging. We hear from so many CEOs, politicians, money managers, pundits. There's no sign of any commodity coming down, just up. Nearly everyone who talks about this issue seems to think it's terrible for the stock market. Yet once again, the averages work their way higher. Dow advancing 199 points. Where would that come from? S&P gaining 0.74%. NASDAQ climbing 0.71%. Pretty much all in unison. See, the truth is, inflation is not an unmitigated disaster for a lot of the market. It's a lot more complicated than that. As a matter of fact, there's some big winners. Now, there are plenty of losers, and we all know we can, we can point to them with our eyes closed. But we've also got lots of companies that benefit, and many that benefit, I'd say, spectacularly, and others that are basically immune that are doing quite well. Okay, the inflation winners, I know they're pretty obvious, but I don't care because I got an expanded list tonight. I'm tired of just giving you a couple names, all right, because things have gotten so good. There's an entire commodity complex that has yet to really show great growth. The ever-expanding energy business and oil and gas prices, as long as they're going up, you're going to make money with this list. Now, see, there's so many opportunities in energy that we need to really widen the horizon of what we consider investable. Now, I've been watching them for weeks, hoping they come down, but, but they haven't had a bad day. A bad day or two in ages. I don't want to chase them for my chapel trust because I think chasing's bad. So what works? Okay, there are many different types of oil plays that I'm going to endorse here. First, you've got the big, boring internationals that I guess, you know, I hope by this point you know about. They're basically along for the ride, doing what they always do, but making more money doing it. I like Chevron the most, yields nearly 5%, committed to spending $10 billion on new technologies that are less energy intensive. Second, 
You've got the domestic producers with great growth that have cut back on drilling and committed to returning more capital to shareholders through variable dividends. I've never seen anything like this, okay? These companies have become incredibly rewarding now that the price of crude's in the 80s. So there I want you to think Devon, okay, which Rick Moncrief we know, Pioneer Net. We know both these companies. We've liked them. We've had them on. I'm not giving you companies I just idly say, eh, go buy this one. Third, even after natural gas rolled over yesterday, down 8%, it's still had a big run. And after today's the entire rally, it's back above 5 For nat gas producers, you want something like Coterra Energy, which was created when the old Cabot Oil and Gas merged with Simerex. But we've got a global shortage of this stuff, so maybe you want a liquefied natural gas export investment, like Chenier, symbol LNG, that's the gold standard, or Tellurian for something far more speculative. Fourth, how about the oil service companies? Halliburton delivered a very good quarter this morning. I bet Schlumberger will have excellent numbers when it reports on Friday. Finally, there are the pipeline players. Boy, I had given up on these, but you can't anymore. You can't ignore them. These are higher-yielding oil and gas utilities that typically return lots of cash through enormous distributions that are growing like crazy after years of being stagnant. I like Enterprise Product Partners, which yields 7%, or Williams Companies, which yields 5%. I can't believe I said I would never recommend these again after the disaster they've been for the last four years. But they're coining money. There's only a few left. I've got to point them out. I can't just say I've written them off. You can't write those off. I had to broaden the list of approved oils because I think higher prices are probably here to stay because no one's really pumping a lot more oil. Uh, but even if the price stalls here in these particular oil stocks, they're all going to work well over time. I mean, you're looking at a list that if you had three down days, you'd be nuts not to buy three of these stocks. Of course, there are plenty of inflation winners outside the oil patch, too. You've also got the stocks that do better when interest rates rise due to strong demand, which is exactly what's pushing up oil and gas. Now I'm talking about the financials, hitherto not thought of as something you should buy in inflationary times. We got some real standouts here. Bank of America reported some magnificent numbers that, uh, just last week. They're going to make a killing if the Federal Reserve is forced to tighten. Then there are the investment banks, Goldman Sachs for the more aggressive, although it's still inexpensive and price earnings multiple, Morgan Stanley for the more risk averse. And do not forget one that I think, yeah, I was taking some heat lately, people downgrading it, I think, let's just say I know incorrectly, and that's Wells Fargo. Wells, Wells Fargo is really the wild card turnaround of this entire stock market. Wells only reported OK quarter, but it's finally on the men. It shot up five straight points, and it's able to play catch up with the rest of the industry. What would catch up look like? Roughly three years ago, Wells was trading at around 60. It's now at 50. Over the same period, Bank of America's stock has vaulted from 30 to 46. That means Wells Fargo could have a ton of upside if it's finally getting its house in order. And I am telling you, it is getting its house in order. My Chapel Trust owns Morgan Stanley for its superb wealth management business. And we've also got a lot of Wells Fargo because I believe CEO Charlie Scharf can deliver on this turnaround now that he's cleaned house. More importantly, the key with the bank is that the higher interest rates go, the more money these companies can make just by turning the lights on every morning. You need a financial. Pick one. Now we're discovering that there's a third group of inflation winners. And this is one that really took a lot of people by surprise because these are high-priced earnings and high-priced-to-sales stocks. And I'm talking about the labor and cost savers that we know as tech, systems integrators, information technology, 
cloud computing companies. We know, for example, there's a worker shortage. So if companies are having trouble finding employees, they have to bring in technology. Instead, it's the only way to improve improve productivity. So they need to hire Salesforce.com, Adobe, Workday, Amazon Web Services, or Azure from Microsoft. Or ServiceNow, which makes it so your information technology department can do far more with fewer people. Or Snowflake, which gives you a cheaper way to analyze data as you rent the cloud. All of these stocks or their parents are breaking out these bottom. They're moving higher. And you will see, I think, good moves between here and your end. Remember what I said that near the end of October, you're going to start seeing that sweet spot for the market? These. Traditionally, we, we think of these fast-growing tech stocks as losers in an inflationary environment. But this is a weird economy, spurring demand for the products. And look, these cloud plays don't perform in a vacuum. I mean, you, know, you need high-performance semiconductors. That's NVIDIA and AMD to make the plumbing work. It's not like those stocks go up almost daily for no reason. Then the next link in the chain, you need equipment from Lamb Research and Applied Materials to manufacture the chips. Stands the reason you can buy those semiconductor arms dealers, too. Meanwhile, there's been no let up in cyber attacks. After all, crime is one of these things that is immune to inflation. So the cybersecurity stocks just won't quit in there. We got Palo Alto. We got CrowdStrike and a more attenuated Cloudflare, which had a rare down day that might be worth buying. Who else is immune to inflation? Social media. Snap keeps flying. And yes, even Facebook's moving up again after these ugly revelations. Each new disclosure seems to make less of an impact, although I'm sure there'll be some more shocking news right before during Amazon's earnings zone next week. Wouldn't that be just the way this thing goes? Finally, even companies that historically have not performed well during uh, times of inflation have been getting a pass here, as long as they have exciting new products. Witness Johnson & Johnson. Now, the, the, the number comes out. Initially, the stock gets hit when people read the number. Then it rallies back to unchanged. Then it gets hit again, and then, boom, it takes off. All the exact same information. If I'm right and Big Pharma has legs, then Eli Lilly might be the perfect stock for this moment. Uh, as far as I'm increasingly, con- I'm increasingly confident about their Alzheimer's drug, and that is in part because of uh, proprietary charity work I do for the tackling of hard-to-combat brain illnesses. It's a big reason why we recently bought Lily for the Charitable Trust. That's part of the investment club. You see that QR code? It, 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 it sta- I always got that wrong even in high school. When they were- what was stage left? Is that the same as Right. Now, I'm not saying you should only buy the inflation winners or the ones with immunity. You can still make money in the inflation losers for as long as you pick the right ones. For example, Walmart stock rallied nice today. Uh, but I think that was clearly a case of an analyst playing catch up and recommending it. And I know what I'm talking about because my travel trust has been a huge suffering shareholder of that one. I was impressed with how Procter & Gamble was able to grow despite its supply chain woes. I wish I could be more bullish there. Management made it clear that they expect many costs to keep going higher, but they've got great productivity. Uh, Procter has the ability to raise prices and they will do that. Its colleagues, eh, not so much. The bottom line, don't fall into the trap of thinking that the whole market will get wrecked by persistent inflation except for the oils. We are now discovering that there are vast swaths of the market that benefit from inflation, and that's what we've discovered this during earnings season. And that's the oils, that's the banks, and at this moment, even tech and big pharma. I mean, that's a huge chunk of this market, unlike any combination I've ever seen. Plenty of winners out there. If you just stop freaking out and start looking at the opportunities. James in Ohio. James. 
Yo, Jim, it's Brian James. Booyah. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Brian James. What's up? Hey, so uh, I, about six months ago, was looking for an alternative energy drink, and uh, I started getting all my friends uh, drinking the one I landed on, so I just bought some stock in them at 55. They're sitting at 94 today. What do you think of Celsius holding? Well, you know, I thought I introduced them to everybody. I had them on very, very early on and really, really liked it. I think you're on to something big, partner. I like you. You got a horse sense. All right. Don't fall into the inflation anxiety trap. It's starting to annoy me. Look at this. I got four major sections of the stock market that are now singing a positive tune to oil. These are areas that benefit from inflation. Why don't you take a look at them? Now, there's plenty of winners if you just look around and stop being so darn negative. Man, money tonight. Emerson Electric. Remember them? They recently announced the acquisition of a couple of industrial software businesses from Aspen Tech. So I'm breaking down the deal and sharing what it could mean for your money. It's actually a combined merger. Then we've seen an influx of IPOs in the last few months, and I'm running through one recently listed athletic apparel business that could be worth watching. Is it the next Nike? And Spunk kicked off its 12th annual user conference today with a slew of new announcements. I'm getting the latest from the CEO, and it does very much fit into this winning category. Stay with Craven. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. 
Last Monday, we learned that one of my old favorites, Emerson Electric, that's a big diversified industrial, was making a curious move. Emerson's got a pair of industrial software businesses that they're merging with an outfit called Aspen Technology, which I didn't know much about, but is another player in that same space. We tend to think about these companies really in the pure tech. We don't think about them as industrial tech. Later that day, we spoke to CEO Lyle Carsonby. And I got to tell you, I thought he told a really excellent story. I want you to just listen to what he has to say. What a great opportunity for Emerson shareholders and for Aspen Tech shareholders to really transform and scale what is a, in, in a high-growth industrial software space, over a $60 billion opportunity, uh, high-growth, and with lots of opportunity to do more M&A and, and to grow organically as well. So we're very excited about that proposition. Synergies on both sides of the table, and, uh, and uh, a, a very important day for us. Yeah, I thought he was so great. I thought he made so much sense, but apparently Wall Street disagrees because the stock initially got hit. On the day the deal was announced, Emerson tumbled from 96 to 94. Over the next couple of days, it's fallen all the way down to 92. All right, since then, of course, it's rallied back to 96 and changed. But it's basically unchanged since we found out about what I think is kind of an amazing deal in retrospect. It's Aspen Technology. I think it's ridiculous. It should have been and is a huge positive. Many people are having trouble getting their heads around it because the deal seems somewhat complicated. Maybe they jump to the conclusion that Emerson's really selling its industrial software business to Aspen. Uh, which is not true. They'll own a majority of the combined company. So you know what we do? I- I'm revisiting this thing because I don't think I got the point across. Tonight, I want to cut through the confusion and explain what's happening with its Emerson Aspen te- transaction because it's simply too good to ignore. And those of you who want an industrial, maybe this is where you should look. So why don't we start with the basic facts of the situation? Emerson Electric has two software divisions called OSI and Geological Simulation Software. They're merging with Aspen Technology to create an industrial software powerhouse. On top of that, Emerson's also kicking in $6 billion in cash, which will go to Aspen Tech shareholders. In exchange, they get a 55% stake in the combined entity, with Aspen's old shareholders owning the other 45%. In other words, it's less, than it's less that they're selling their software business to Aspen and more that they're buying a controlling stake in a new vehicle called Aspen, while they also merge it with their software divisions. Based on the price they're paying, Aspen's getting about a 27% premium to where it was trading before we started hearing chatter that a deal was in the offing. All right, with that out of the way, why am I so enthusiastic about what seems to be, again, uh, Aspen, Emerson, what do they do in transaction? Simple. See, Emerson's creating a platform to take over the fast-growing industrial software business, which, by the way, is perhaps, I think, after cybersecurity, the favorite of high-growth managers. I often describe Emerson as a manufacturer's manufacturer. The new Aspen Tech subsidiary will be a manufacturer's software developer. That's especially valuable at a time, at a moment where, you know, such labor shortages, right? All sorts of businesses are trying to save money on wages by replacing people with smart machines. More importantly, the numbers in this transaction look very enticing. Emerson's got $120 billion global installed base, nearly 12,000 salespeople worldwide. They think the cross-selling opportunities for Aspen Tech will be enormous. I agree. Then the cost synergies. Within five years, new Aspen Tech expects to achieve $110 billion of savings for its earnings for interest taxes, appreciation, and amortization. On the Emerson side, they're talking $45 million of synergies, and that might just be the tip of the iceberg. The old Aspen had already embraced a software-as-a-service business model, which Wall Street generally prefers over the old-fashioned software 
license model, they, they can transition Emerson's software divisions to the cloud, too. Again, I know this is complicated stuff, but you see there's stuff that's on the cloud and stuff that's on-prem. This is going to be cloud. Cloud trades much higher than-prem. Salesforce trades much more expensively than Oracle. you got to think about it like that. After the deal closes, the new Aspen Tech should be, generating, should be able to generate $1.1 billion in sales next year with double-digit revenue and free cash flow growth over the next five years. Not bad. The transition of Emerson's old software component to a software-as-a-service model should be good news for the margins, too. But the key here is that Emerson's building a platform for future acquisitions, which is why I was surprised that it wasn't doing better. That's what we like. They're not being coy about it. When I spoke to CEO Lyle Carson by last week, he mentioned that they see lots of opportunities to do more deals. His plan is to use the new Aspen Tech to consolidate the industrial software space, and they'll have the balance sheet to make it happen. The only other company that's really in this is Honeywell. That's the official story, uh, but it's not the whole story. To really get your head around the transaction, you need to know why it's happening. See, about two years ago, Emerson Electric found itself under pressure from a quirky activist hedge fund, D.E. Shaw. Quirky meaning smart, not dumb. The previous chairman CEO, David Farr, who's been on the show, had been running the company for 19 years. Earlier in his tenure, he created an enormous amount of value. But in recent years, the stock had indeed stalled out, in part because of the downturn in the energy markets, in part because of the trade war with China. They got huge number of plants in China. So D.E. Shaw came in and used Emerson's alleged underperformance, really its lack of outperformance, to push for some major changes. Think tighter cost controls, better corporate governance, or even a breakup. Ultimately, nothing much seemed to happen. Nothing came out of that activist campaign. D.E. Shaw got a seat on the board of directors. Emerson said it would take a closer look at costs and executive compensation. But they refused to do anything more drastic like splitting up the company. Then earlier this year, David Farr retired as CEO, and he handed the reins to a change agent, and that's Law Carson by, who really took over at the perfect time. Emerson's end markets that have been languishing have suddenly come roaring back. Still, there was probably some pressure on him to unlock value by spinning off some of Emerson's faster-growing subsidiaries. And that brings me full circle to the Aspen Tech deal. I think Carson by striking the perfect balance between unlocking value and keeping the company together. It didn't make sense for Emerson to totally spin off its industrial software because this stuff typically gets sold as a package with its industrial hardware. They wanted to get an independent valuation for the best software assets without losing their cross-selling opportunity. That's exactly what, what this has done. Meanwhile, they're keeping some of their software under the Emerson umbrella, the stuff that most integrated, most integrated with their hardware. You know, I, I know that some would say, you know what, Jim, this is alchemy, okay, which is short for financial engineering. Emerson's got these two terrific software businesses that deserve a much higher price to earnings multiple than the rest of the company. They combine them with Aspen, which will continue to be publicly traded, in order to give their businesses a higher valuation. But uh, they benefit from that valuation because they own 55% of the new Aspen. Finally, one other angle. New Aspen Tech will have the solutions to becoming a leading player in the environmentally sustainability space. When companies want to reduce their carbon emissions or embrace recycling, the new Aspen has the software they need. That's why it's such a good stock. Bottom line, the Emerson Aspen deal is an incredibly savvy transaction that no one paid attention to at all. Makes a ton of sense for both companies. While Aspen stock has already roared in response because it's basically a takeover target, Emerson stock's pretty much flat. I think that's an incredible buying opportunity. You're getting this fabulous deal, and you're getting it for free. Stick with Kramer. Coming up, what's going on with the ticker symbol on on? Lace them up. Kramer takes you on a run with an IPO that has Wall Street doing a little soul searching. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. 
With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. In the past few months, we've had a whirlwind of IPOs, many of which were just total garbage, especially those darn SPAC deals. But there have been some quality names, too. Too few for my taste, but there have been some. Tonight, I want to circle back to one of the more enticing stocks that came public last month that people are not talking about at all. It's called On Holding. Not On Holdings, On Holding. And that's O-N-O-N for all you homegoers. This is the Swiss company behind on-brand performance running shoes and athletic wear. Now, generally speaking, you know we love a good footwear story. Nike's been a gigantic long-term winner, even as the stock's been struggling a bit in recent months. It'll write itself. Lulu's made you fortunes is probably not finished. Even Crocs, of all things, has caught fire this year. Those shoes may be ugly. And very 2006, but the stock's more than double for 2021. Suddenly, I can see the appeal. If On Holding can follow in their footsteps, then its stock would be a screaming buy. Initially, it sure seemed like Wall Street had the same idea. When On Holding came public last month, the deal price at 24, then the stock opened at 34.50 on its first day of trading. I was on the floor. Everyone was so excited. And then a few days later, it went over 40. But then the whole growth stock edifice crumbled in late September, which briefly sent On Holding to the high 20s before rebounding to $30. It's right here. And it's been stuck ever since. This is not a great looking chart, but that doesn't matter. When a stock pull, like that you like pulls back from its highs, it's often a great buying opportunity. Still, when you see a stock getting slammed like this, you got to start thinking, all right, what's going wrong? What, do I, what don't I know? So what is the story with on holding? Well, it's complicated. On holding looks like a terrific company, major near-term problem that makes me hesitate to recommend the stock. Let me give you the good side first. This one has interesting origins. A little over a decade ago, a Swiss athlete named Olivier Bernhard, six-time Ironman triathlon comp- uh, champion, I confess to never having lost to him, decided to create his own running shoe. He wanted something with a cushioned landing and explosive takeoff. Right out of the gate, they started winning awards. These things make you feel like you're running on a cloud. But originally, One Holding was a tiny brand that you could only find in special running shoes uh, stores. But sounds a lot like the origins of Nike doesn't with great Steve Prefontaine. I had a stop pre-T-shirt kind of aging myself. He was the most intriguing runner of that time, or maybe even all time. And uh, he was also uh, working with Phil Knight to come up with the best shoes. It's Buck Knight is Nike's uh, founder. 11 years later, On has become a premium performance sports brand with terrific technology, millions of fans across more than 60 countries. On, On has a wholesale presence in more than 8,100 stores. Wholesale accounts for roughly 64% of their sales. I like wholesale. But the other 36% comes from the company's direct-to-consumer business. That I love. Mostly the website, which is growing like a weed. Take a look. And that is a huge reason why On Holding saw its sales increase by an astounding nearly 85% in the first half of the year. And look, you can do a lot worse with a running shoe with precision Swiss engineering. To borrow a line from Orson Welles, in the third man, in Switzerland, they had brotherly love, they had 500 years of democracy and peace, and what did they produce? The cuckoo clock. And I mean, well, in the movie, it's meant as an insult. Uh, the contempt in his voice on cuckoo clock is out of this world, but I'm never going to look down on Swiss 
in innovation or engineering. Never mind the cuckoo clock actually comes from Southern California, by the way. Orson Welles never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Hey, by the way, kids, if you haven't seen it, go watch The Third Man. You can stream it on Amazon Prime. Uh, very haunting music. Really good. Okay, now listen to me. Put uh, back to on holding. They've created something really special here. And in a world where consumers embrace healthy lifestyles, while fashion has become increasingly casualized, this one may be the one. And when you look at the numbers, they're very impressive. First six months, sales grew at an 85% clip. Gross margins rising to 59.3%. That's up 500 basis points from 2020. Meanwhile, the company's actually turning a small profit. Even before Owen Holding raised $570 million from its IPO last month, they had a nearly pristine balance sheet. We're, uh, we're talking barely more than 100000 bucks across a few overdraft facilities. Uh, plus, their cash flows from operations just turned positive, coming in at 27.8 million Swiss francs in the first half of the year, up from 1.8 million in the same small, uh, period a year ago. That's, there, there's not much I can say about the finances other than they're excellent. One holding us growth in spades, and technically, their revenue growth is accelerating. Although they were up against easy comparisons the first half because of the lockdown last year. However, from its inception through 2020, on holding its growth in sales at a compound rate of 85%, basically in line with their sales growth in the first half. Even if you zoom into the three years from 2018 to 2020, they had 66% compound annual growth rate. If the company simply returns to that pace, this would be one of the fastest growers in the industry. On top of that, it's profitable, not just on an EBITDA basis, but on a straight-up earnings per share basis. Highly unusual with the junk that's coming public these days. So I would love to be able to recommend on holding. Why is it the stock here? I'll tell you why. It's because of the fly in the ointment. And it's frankly enough to ruin the entire story, at least in the near future. See, on holding has what I call a Vietnam problem. And I don't mean they're traumatized by the flashbacks of the Tet Offensive or the battle for the Imperial City of Wei. Different kind of Vietnam problem. It's a supply chain problem. While these shoes are designed in Switzerland, they're manufactured in Vietnam, which accounts for 100% of the company's footwear production. Now, I've got nothing against Vietnam, a great place to do business, almost hard to believe the communists won the war. But at this moment, where supply chains are hopelessly tangled, getting nearly all your product from a single small country in Southeast Asia without great ports is a huge liability. We know Vietnam has been hit, hit hard by the Delta variant to the point where the country had to shut down factories completely for an extended period of time ahead of the holiday season. If you want to know why Owen Holding hasn't been able to rebound it for the late September swoon, I think it's the Vietnam story. Remember, Nike's got a Vietnam problem, too, and they told us that the COVID-related shutdowns are hurting their numbers. Given that Owen Holding makes 100% of its shoes in Vietnam, the next couple of quarters could be pretty ugly. We don't know how bad it will be, but some analysts are forecasting negative growth rates early next year, which would represent a huge hit. Throw in the fact that Owen Holding is pretty expensive, okay, it trades at more than 10 times, not earnings, but sales, and more than 40 times the 2023 EBITDA expectations. And I think it's simply too risky to buy a lot of this one right here, as compelling as the story is. This is a great long-term growth, growth situation. And eventually, Vietnam will get over the Delta variant, or they'll move their production somewhere else. You just need to let the stock come down or find out the Vietnam is back online and then you can pounce. So let me give you the bottom line here. I think on holding could be in for a turbulent next few months, but you should get ready to buy it gradually on the way down because other than the Vietnam supply chain issue, this one's got a lot going for it. If you buy it now, you're betting that everyone knows about the problem. But that's rarely the case, which is why waiting for lower prices might not be a bad idea. I want to go to Jaden in Texas. Jaden. 
What's up, Jimmy? I'm doing okay. How about you? I'm doing well, man. I got one thing to say. Don't listen to all these losers in your Twitter replies, okay? They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, I am among the top ten hated people on Twitter, and I sure wish, as my wife said, what did you do? Whatever. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm a college kid in East Texas, and we love Top Golf over here. And they were acquired by Callaway a while back. And I got in at $32, and I'm just not feeling the recent price movement. What do you think? I think you're fine. I think a lot of people felt that golf had its day when people started realizing, you know, say, listen, you can play outside. But I got to tell you, Jaden, thank you for those kind comments, that I think golf is here to stay, and a lot of people like golf, and this is a good level. I know it also hurt dicks, too. That's another good situation. But I thank you for the kind words, and I really, yeah, I mean, look, the mentions column, I got my man Dylan who reads it now. When Dylan sees something positive, you just shoot it over to me because he's going to shoot it over to you. If those who want to continue to be negative, want to continue negative, I got bad news for you. I'm not reading you. But maybe it's good news. Keep writing. I could care less. Now, it could, only because I don't read it. I used to care. I used to care. It could be a turbulent few months for on holding, but be ready to buy it on the way down. I think this one has a whole lot going for it. And hey, by the way, earlier I think that I may have said that the cuckoo clock originated in Southern California. I want to correct that. That's Germany. Much more mad money ahead. Including my excuse was Splunk with its sights set on t- taking over the cloud. I'm learning about the company's latest offerings from its annual user conference. Then my job is to help make you and save you money. So I'm giving you my strategy for being careful in this market amid a lot of risky investing and the SEC's comments on it. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Like I said at the top, the last couple of weeks, wow, the cloud-based software stocks, they have roared from the lows. And, and that includes even some of the typical laggards. Sadly, Splunk, one of my faves, the data analytics uh, and security play that's kind of been mired of late. Splunk's had a rough time in recent years. Companies struggle with the transition to a software-as-a-service business model. Now, that always is a rocky process. It, 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 it takes a while. However, after pulling back to 110 at its lows this May, get this, Splunk stock has steadily worked its way all the way up to 165 and changed. And it looks like business is back on track and doing well. Good timing as today Splunk kicked off its 12th annual user conference where it unveiled a bunch of new product enhancements, including a pretty interesting product for the government. So let's check in with Doug Merritt, the president and CEO of Splunk, to learn more about these announcements, where the company's headed, and what today meant for shareholders. Mr. Merritt, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Uh, always happy to be here. Oh, thank you, Doug. Okay, so you made a number of headlines and a lot of key messages from today's user conference. Can you give us what people uh, would have heard and what distinguished you from others who are in your category? Absolutely. So let me peel back this for one second. You got you followed us more closely than almost anybody else, Jim. Uh, we've had a really, really good Q4, Q1, and Q2. And at the end of Q2, we updated guidance uh, for the year. Uh, with 3.1 billion or more in overall ARR and 1.3 billion or more in cloud ARR, uh, topping off, we had seven consecutive quarters. Uh, sorry, ten consecutive quarters of 70 plus percent cloud growth. So, as you said, the business is firing. Very exciting. Uh, today was a big day. We've been working like crazy to make sure that we had updates across our data platform that powers both custom solutions that customers build and then our package solutions that focus on the cybersecurity teams, 
the infrastructure management and IT ops teams and our big new initiative over the past year and a half, the application development DevOps teams with our observability suite. Um, and happy to go into any areas well, that, are, uh, why, that you want to this, about. Uh, um, well, your logging modernization program to help U.S. government meet cybersecurity requirements. We tend to think that the U.S. government is behind and not ahead. What will this do for the U.S. government? Oh, great question. So U.S. government's been a great customer for Splunk for well over a decade. Um, and most every agency uses Splunk underneath the covers to ensure that they've got visibility on what's happening across their systems and that they've got ways to investigate potential security incidents. Uh, there was an executive order that President Biden came out with recently that made this even more important imperative for governments. And we created a whole package and pricing offering for them that enables them to use the absolute gold standard best in class solution, which is Splunk, to ensure that our nation is safe and that the government agencies who, like everybody else, have been struggling with this crazy cyber environment that we've been dealing with, that they are able to do their work quickly, efficiently, um, and with the right personnel. So we're super excited about increasing our penetration within the, the U.S. government. Now, Doug, I, I signed up for your uh, – went to the website. I didn't pretend I was anybody other than myself. Got a nice email <laughs> from someone who wants to work with me. But I do see, in terms of a ratio, cybersecurity and understanding your own data seems to have taken on a, a bigger chunk of when I first met you when I look at the website. Yeah, the, the beauty of Splunk that we've talked about in the past is if you don't spend all your time refining data and you deal with this crazy unstructured data that we have been the experts in, then you can use it for anything. That led us to the cyber teams because they have so much on their backs right now. And our cyber business has been 50 plus percent of the company's business every quarter, at least the past four or five years. Um, and certainly the past 18 months, we had over 3,000 breaches reported globally, over 36 billion records taken through those breaches. That remains front and center. Now, the beauty for our customers is that exact same data they're using to be able to give them the cyber insight to keep their organization safe is also usable across the other technology departments, IT, application development, and usable for companies like Porsche or BMW or Domino's to do line of business oriented insights. So is my manufacturing line working? Are my customers getting what they want? Are we couponing and discounting effectively? So this data is very, very reusable, which is part of what I think has driven us from 300 million when I got here seven years ago to 3.1 plus billion in that, that short time frame. It's a very unique offering. Okay, so recently, uh, I don't want to slag them, but a, a store I know does heavy couponing. And they backed away from couponing, and it really, really hurt their business. If they had known real time, I think they could have saved their quarter. Would you be able to tell a retailer, look, in the last three days, this is killing you? Oh, for sure. For sure. The information that's flowing across networks, endpoints, the different applications, it always contains some degree of customer information. Of course, you want to redact personal information. And by the way, I had an amazing announcement on ingest actions that allows you to redact and cover any information that is not appropriate to, to look at and still get the value of that data. Um, but through that, you can, you can see customer patterns. You can see manufacturing supply chain patterns in addition to security patterns and whether we're pushing quality code as we do some you know, critical cloud updates that we can continue to interact with customers the way we have online during the pandemic. Right, one last one. I know Walmart is a customer. Walmart was upgraded today by, by Goldman. I think Walmart has superior uh, cloud strategies. They're not getting enough credit for it. Uh, what have you done to help them? Because I think that they are an extraordinary cloud company that happens to have great brick and mortar, but people don't think of them like that, Doug. 
They, they don't. It's, it's amazing what they've done. We've been working with them for a long period of time. And actually, five, six years ago, they made an attempt to say, hey, you know what? We don't need you. We're going to build it ourselves. We're going to open source it. And they came back with a vengeance after 18 months, realizing, oh, my gosh, we can't do what Splunk is doing. Right. Kobe Avital, the EVP of technology there, a really, really sterling executive. Uh, he has come in and continued to drive this uh, fully digital environment that, that Walmart has now. 220 million shoppers per right. week served. And without Splunk as a backbone for their very complex landscape, as you, as you can imagine, Jim, they've got their own data centers. They leverage a multitude of different public clouds out there. We are the single pane of glass that ensures that those 220 million weekly shoppers get that awesome digital experience as they have pivoted from 100% physical five, 10 years ago to a great digital player in the economy. Well, today. that's a great credit to you. Walmart, of course, could pick anyone in the world. They're, they are big enough to pick anybody, and they chose Splunk, and then chose Splunk again when they realized they couldn't do it. So congratulations, Doug, on your big day. A lot of good stuff coming out of it. As always, you're a straight shooter. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Jim. Okay, that's Doug Murr, President CEO of Splunk. The stock is still inexpensive versus its colleagues, even though you heard some of the things he's doing both for the government and for Walmart, a very important client. May have money's back in Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. It is time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Derry, time for the lightning round. Let's start with. Greg in Tennessee. Greg. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Excellent. Member of, member of the Destiny Club, and thank you for all you do to help people make their financial dreams come true. Thank you. Sure trying. Okay, I have a two-part question regarding CBS. One, yep. currently, Cleveland, Ohio, there's a... Uh, yeah, it's, a, way, a it's good. Uh, my capital trust owned it. We had a gain. We should have let it run even further. Karen Lynch did a great job. A shout-out to the North Shore CVS I went to this weekend that was so clean, spanking clean. Congratulations to the shareholders of CVS. Mike in Indiana. Mike. Hey, Jim. Uh, first of all, my fiancé thinks you're crazy, but in a really good way. I like that. Oh, uh, yeah, he, she loves you. And secondly, I just had a quick question about... Uh, a Richard Branson backed SPAC that came out back January twenty three and me me. Oh, look, I, I like tw- I, I, I like twenty three and me. Now someone came on our air recently and called it. Uh, I'm not going to mention it. The next such and such. But what they're really saying was that it's a misunderstood company. It's got another business inside of it that's very good. The therapeutic. I agree with that, and I think the stock should be bought. Let's go to James in Texas. James. Hey Jim. What First, I would like to. Booyah, booyah. Booyah. First I would like to <laughs> first I would like to thank you for your giving me the confidence to rejoin the stock market. There thank you, go. you. That's what I want. What yes sir. What are your thoughts on PBR, Petrobras? I think it can be owned. I think that oil is that strong. I don't like that country or investing in that country, but I do think that even uh, rising tide lifts even that boat. Michael in Wisconsin, Michael. Jim, 2008, you warned us. 2020, you calmed us. 2021, you invite us in your investment club. For the past 25 years, you don't know how you've improved my life. Warehouse, W Y. 
1970s. Inflation was terrible. I think we might be back there now. They're the number one private uh, landowner in the USA with 10 million acres, another 40 million under long-term leases, 12 PE, 2.7%. Yeah, it's forward. too cheap. You're right. You're on to something. Buyback. It's too cheap, Michael. I like WI. I think Stockfish is doing a real good job. And thank you for the kind comments. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. First, do no harm. Yet, pure money, we, we do follow the Hippocratic Oath. When it comes to stock picking, I don't want to encourage risky behavior. And I feel compelled to make people understand that they could lose a ton of their hard-earned money if they're not careful. And that's why I wanted a little more from the SEC's thorough, detailed staff report on equity and options market structure conditions in early 2021, a.k.a. the GME report. Oh, they did a simply fantastic job of tracing out the events that sent GameStop's stock soaring into the stratosphere, including the fact that there was no vast conspiracy of market makers and clearinghouses to try to hurt the little guy. But this report did nothing to stop the harm that reckless trading can do, even in good times. And we know those can't last forever. Yes, it wasn't meant to be a policy creator. I know that. But it sure could have helped the cause, the cause to warn people about the dangers of so-called gamification, but maybe even more important, the hidden costs to commission free trading, especially from those front-running clients on the other side of the trade. Now, this has been an idyllic time for owning stocks and even trading stock options. Yeah, calls have been working. There are plenty of people who made fortunes on GameStop. Good for them. Meanwhile, we've been in a bull market for ages. Still, I want you to be able to stay in the game if the market gets hit with the ugly stick. And I fear that the aggressive style of so many younger investors could end badly if things go south. They are so driven. 50% of their business tends to be options. I mean, that's just not right. Okay, which brings me to my second goal. Get more people involved in investing, not trading, investing responsibly. It's clear that the GameStop escapade brought lots of new people into the market, many millions of them. We know from this SEC report that there are a million 19-year-olds with brokerage accounts. That's right, one million. Robinhood's average customer is just 31. Median balance, $240. So what does that mean to invest uh, responsibly? Let, let me lay it out for you. First off, you can't do anything meaningful with $250. I'm sorry, you just can't. I started with 170 I get this. When you're saving money in the stock market, you should put the first 10 grand into a low-cost index fund that mirrors the S&P 500. That's called your cushion. That's the basic. That's what you have to work up to. Only after you've got that money in an index fund can you start using your discretionary mad money to pick individual stocks. I hope those $248 Robinhood accounts simply represent mad money, not their core holdings. Now, the SEC report raises myriad questions about whether commission-free trading necessarily means best execution. If they're giving you commission-free trades, there's a good chance you'll end up paying for it later. The report suggests there's just not enough financial literacy and too much gamification. They make it sound like you might as well be gambling. Although I think many of these newer investors put more thought into placing a bet than they do into picking a stock. It's, and that, by the way, it's not even wrong. I get that. I'm passionate. I don't bet, but I'm passionate. It's possible that DraftKings has tighter suitability rules than a Robinhood account. And the fact that DraftKings doesn't let you bet with borrowed money actually does make it a safer option. Now, I think Robinhood makes it too easy to trade with borrowed money. And they also make it too easy to trade. They make it too easy to trade sophisticated options you don't understand uh, that could potentially lead to unlimited losses. There's really got to be more guardrails or at least bumper guardrails. Like when you go bowling. 
I know that GameStop by itself is a lesson how things can get out of hand. Those moves were insane. But you know what? Get this. Since 20, this is a really scary fact that I don't know if the SEC himself even knew how scary. Since 2020 began, there have been 134 stocks that had large one-day price increases than GameStop's largest one-day move. You know what that means? It means pump and dump. That's right. That's telltale. We've got a massive series of pump and dumps on our hands. Individual investors without much experience can get really burned trying to chase those one-day spikes. More education is needed. And the SEC has to look into who's behind those one-day moves. Believe me, it's not all on the up and up, and I bet you it's many of the same characters on a daily meme-like basis. Overall, the GameStop report gives me hope that the SEC may finally make recommendations that require people to know more about the markets than they do. No, but what about stocks? Hey, that's no pipe dream. It's why I started the CMC Investment Club to help make people smarter when it comes to running their money. I want you to be better. I don't want me to do it for you. I want you to do it for yourself. I think the real bottom line on this report is that there are millions of people who need a club like this. Without it, I fear that they could get blown to kingdom come in the next downturn. Now, we saw that movie in 2000. We never want to see that movie again. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.